Dear Crypto Class of 2020, since you've been quarantined for much of the semester, we want to take this opportunity to share some eternal blockchain wisdom with you. If you don't own your keys, you don't own your crypto. Craig Wright is not Satoshi Nakamoto. Once a coin, always a coin. No one on social media is giving away free ETH. Stay bad. And amidst these unusual circumstances for a commencement ceremony, today we bring you Pomp. That's Anthony Pompliano of Morgan Creek Digital Assets. Now come get your diploma and elbow bump the deans for episode number 408 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Hello, graduates, and welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, the show for the crypto curious, the crypto serious, and now you have your masters in badology from Professor Travis Wright and myself, Professor Joel Kahn. You know, my son is a, is a senior in high school this year, and imagine going into the world during 9-11. He was born like a month after 9-11 and graduating during this coronavirus. So this sort of commencement thing is sort of right on time. Actually, my son had his drive-through graduation yesterday. <laughs> drive-through. Did did he get an order of fries with that? Well, you had to go through this little maze and you had to drop off your books and like your he, he plays tuba, so you had to drop off his tuba. Then he had to drop off his band uniform and then his Chromebook. So all these different stations he had to go to and then then they handed him his cap and gown and and uh, congratulations. And you, and you pull up and you pay the rest of, you know, whatever. You got to pay due. your fines. Here's yeah. your receipt. And I said, can I supersize that? And uh, they did not. Were, were there any Karens there that were, you know? They were all Karens. <laughs> every, every one of them. And they, we had a couple comments like, how come you're not wearing a mask? I'm like, well, because I'm in my car. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Well, we're glad that you guys are here. Got a great interview that we've been wanting to get for some time with Mr. Anthony Pompliano. And uh, this was took place at Virtual Blockchain Week. We'll get to it in just a moment. First, we want to tell you about our sponsor, SoMe, SoMe.social. It's spelled S-O-M-E-E. It's so you, it's so me, and it's a blockchain-based social platform that's built for privacy and user control and making money with your posts. Facebook don't pay you, Twitter don't pay you, Instagram don't pay you, LinkedIn don't pay you, you pay them. So they offer ad revenue sharing, and it's something definitely worth checking out. Both Travis and I are there. Go to SoMe.Social and check it out today. But crypto don't pay you. No. Well, sometimes don't pay you. Actually, sometimes we give you rewards in the form of NFTs. And by the way, some big NFT news for you after this interview with Mr. Anthony Pompliano. Anthony Pompliano founded Digiforce. It's a social media platform that contains information about demography, and they were acquired by Strategic Link Partners in 2013. In 2015, he served as a growth leader at Snapchat. He was also a product manager at Facebook. He's seen inside these digital giants. He became a managing partner at Full Tilt Capital, 
in 2016, and they were an early stage venture capital firm that was acquired by Morgan Creek Digital Assets in 2018. He's one of the people that, you know, the media goes to again and again to hear his opinion because he's got some really unique insights into the blockchain world. His podcast is called Off the Chain Podcast, and we're pleased to welcome Mr. Anthony Pump Pompliano. What's up, Tony? How are you guys? Does anybody call you Tony or does everybody call you Pump? Call me a lot of things. They're uh, they're good to call me whatever they want. <laughs> Sometimes not always glowing, I'm sure. Yeah, there's plenty of those people as well. No problem. Yeah, well, when you have uh, opinions, you know, you're not going to please everybody. And you've got a lot of them. So let's start here and now. What in the world is going on? Going on with what? The economy? Bitcoin? What do you want to talk about? Uh, man, I'll break it all down. Let's talk about the economy. Let's talk about Bitcoin. Let's talk about coronavirus. Let's I just want to hear your thoughts. Brain dump, dude. Yeah, well, I mean, look, it all starts with, uh, I think, coronavirus. Um, obviously, uh, there's a very serious um, you know, health situation uh, that needs to be taken seriously. The problem is that all the data is inaccurate. Um, we, we've been saying this now for, uh, for literally weeks, um, both the infection numbers, the uh, death rates. Um, when you look across geographies, uh, the data is just unreliable and inaccurate. And so it's really hard to make good decisions when you're looking at bad data. Uh, people are trying their best to do um, and make those decisions with what they have. Um, but, but you know, it's just very obvious that the data is bad. If you look in somewhere like a New York City, uh, at one point um, when they were uh, saying there was 12,000 deaths, they were openly stating that 5,000 of them had been confirmed cases um, and, and actually tested positive. Uh, but 7,000 people, they just threw in there because it was probable that they had died from it. And so, you know, I'm not here to say it could have been more, could have been less, frankly, right? It could be worse than we think it is or, or better than we think it is. But just the, the idea that there's bad data, I think, is a, a really um, important point because then it leads to every other decision you make, uh, not only one, how you deal with uh, kind of government mandated shutdown, um, but also then how do you reopen cities, right? How do you measure success? How do you make sure that you're not actually doing damage by reopening cities? Um, how long should people be mandated to wear masks and social distancing and things like that? Um, so, uh, you know, generally, I just think that uh, I'm not a health expert um, and, and, you know, I, I really couldn't tell you uh, if this virus is better or worse or whatever than anything else. It's just obvious that the data is wrong um, and, and we got to get testing and, and get better data. Uh, that then leads to a economic crisis, right? I mean, anytime you get in an economy where literally you sent everyone home, um, I, I think that uh, it's obvious you're going to have an economic downfall. Um, you've literally ground the economy to a halt. And so 4.8% GDP um, negative uh, in Q1, that's actually not that bad, given the fact they sent everyone home for a couple of weeks. Uh, you've got over 30 million Americans uh, who have filed for unemployment claims, first time unemployment claims in the last six weeks. Um, and then you got companies that are literally reporting uh, you know, just massive losses. I mean, you know, American Airlines today uh, came out with their numbers about $2.2 billion in Q1, uh, which, you know, sounds pretty bad until you realize that most of those losses all came uh, kind of in the last four weeks of the quarter, last three weeks of the quarter. And so right now they're losing about $70 million a day, right, which is just massive numbers. And so uh, airline bookings are down 95%. Um, the, the stat that just blows my mind is um, movie theaters. So the third week of March in 2019, U.S. domestic box office did uh, over $200 million in revenue across the board, across the industry. In the third week of March of 2020, they did $5,000 combined as an industry. For all so Netflix and chilling, right? That's it. 
I mean, and look, and here's the sad part, right? Is like what that means is that drives the unemployment number. That means that all of the small mom and pop shops, they're going to get put out of business. Uh, and then the large companies are going to go, you know, basically uh, become socialists and go to the government and ask for bailouts. And, uh, and that's pretty much what we've seen happen. Uh, it's gotten so bad that uh, even governments are saying, wait a second, you know, lo- uh, local and state governments are going to the federal government and saying, hey, we need a bailout, right? We, we literally mismanaged our capital, uh, our revenues down. And so I think what you're starting to see is, you know, the virus has essentially exposed a lot of shams in society. And what I mean by that is higher education got exposed. Uh, A lot of kind of the government um, financing and and, uh, capital management, balance sheet management, uh, they got exposed. Uh, A lot of these businesses that uh, were upside down uh, in terms of their unit economics or didn't have strong balance sheets, they got exposed. Uh, and then bad businesses, right? I mean, look, you know, the conversation that a lot of people don't like to have, uh, but I do think it's important is um, there's a lot of small businesses out there that are just bad businesses in general. They're very hard uh, to run. And, and that doesn't mean that those entrepreneurs or small business owners should be uh, left out to dry. Actually, I think we should be spending the most time helping them. Uh, you know, America was built on entrepreneurs and, and kind of the American spirit of innovation and ingenuity. But it doesn't change the fact that if you're, let's say, a restaurant, you've got super thin margins, you basically run year round with about two weeks of cash in the bank. Uh, that's just not a great business, right? And, and so naturally, you're going to start to see some consolidation there. Um, and and my fear is that a lot of those businesses don't come back, which means that those 30 million Americans who filed for unemployment don't have jobs to go back to, right? And so the two things I'm paying attention to right now are how many small businesses are actually going to come back after this shutdown. Uh, my guess is about 20% of them uh, probably will not come back. Uh, small businesses make up 50% of jobs in America. Uh, so, you know, it's about 10% loss in jobs on average. Uh, and, and so if you look at that with that unemployment number, you're not going to get back to single digits for a while. Uh, and then the second thing is kind of what is the economic damage of the large companies, right? You know, how many of those companies that are showing losses can get back to break even in uh, Q3? right? How big are the losses in Q2 for this year? Uh, and kind of what's that road to recovery look like? I think people are, um, you know, a little bit more optimistic uh, than uh, th- than they should be. And you see it in a stock market, right? You kind of see this dislocation between stocks rallying and uh, the economic uh, reality or what I call the economic carnage, right? I, I was talking to uh, an accountant I work with and-, and I just said to him, hey, are you are you good, right? Not, not necessarily from a business standpoint, but just like mentally and, and psychologically. And-, and he said, I've never seen this amount of economic carnage in such a short period of time. And I think that just, it has been unbelievable. And I I, I think, and I want to ask you about this. And for once, it's great to meet you. We've not had a chance to meet before. So uh, great to finally have a chance to to chat with you. Nice to meet you as well. Yeah. We're we're talking about this economic carnage. At what point do we get to the point where civilization starts to teeter? Because it seems to me that you know, we've had we've had the world tap on the economic brakes and then slam on the economic brakes. And then now we have this sort of it's almost like we've seen the 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 bomb go off. And now we're just waiting for the shockwave like we haven't even got the shockwave isn't even here yet because more and more people are going to start suffering. What happens when, you know, we're already here. We're at another we're at the, we're at the, the first of the month again. You know, people got to pay rent. They got to pay their phone bill. They got to pay electricity. You know, we got twelve hundred Trump bucks. But what is that? What is that going to do when 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 massive people when when there becomes more have nots than those that have? It seems to me that social unrest is closer now than it maybe has ever been in at least in our lifetimes. 
Yeah, I mean, look, you got to remember a couple of things here, right? So one is uh, the government works for the people, right? We elect them. They're here to serve us. They, they're not, uh, um, you know, kind of in charge of us, if you will. Uh, but we put them in place. And so there's ways to um, kind of rectify that situation. One of the easy ones is when it's time to vote, go out to the polls and vote, right? If you don't like what the job somebody's doing, go vote them out of office. And, and I think that's kind of the beauty of a democratic process. Uh, in the meantime, um, there are incredible infringements on civil liberties and personal freedoms going on. Um, you know, I continue to tweet about them because I, 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 you know, have the unique perspective of, um, you know, not only one having been in the U.S. Uh, military and, and gone overseas, uh, but but I've seen what happens in these uh, economies. I've been to these places. I've literally seen the end of this road. Uh, and if you talk to a lot of people, especially people who've been in the military, who have kind of seen this, uh, they, they're the first ones to say, look, you know, I love my country, but the whole point of the country is to have those civil liberties and personal freedoms, right? That is the American uh, spirit. That is the the American dream, if you will. And so the, the things that I look at, um, you know, are kind of different than most people. So the first thing is we've got horrible leadership across the board on both uh, sides of the aisle. And what I mean by that is uh, imagine being a governor right now and saying, if you're a business owner in my state, I'm going to shut you down. Literally, I'm going to mandate that you have to shut down but I'm going to keep pulling my paycheck. The first thing every governor should have done is that I'm going to forego my salary until my small business owners can get back and start making a living. I'm not going to take my living, right? I'm actually going to donate it to them. And so it's little things like that that I look at and say, these people don't care. They, they really don't care, right? And, and they'll kind of wave their hands and say they care and do all this kind of stuff, but it's all opportunistic because the second piece of that is if you look at like the PPP loans and things like that, all of the help is going to the people who are rich, the people who are hyper successful or the people who are well connected. If you really, really want to help people, put money in the hands of the people and in the small businesses. That's what will get the economy going again. Not giving 200 plus public companies uh, PPP loans or having the banks literally pick and choose who they're going to process loans for, even though they're publicly saying it's first come, first serve. Instead, they're just picking their best clients. Yeah, that's a great point there. So why aren't these corporations held responsible? Like it's a, they, tell the, they tell the public, hey, well, you need to save for a rainy day, but they don't hold the corporations to that same standard. They, they spend their billions and they go, oh, I'm just going to do stock buybacks and, 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 and help fuel the investors, but not actually save for a rainy day. A lot of these companies could have avoided all this if they had saved some billions in the bank, right? Well, here's what you remember. All the people in the government that are making the decisions right now, they're all Wall Street bankers. That's literally what, that's what they are. They're they're bailing their friends out, right? Mm -hmm. And and there's this whole idea of quantitative easing being kind of the UBI for rich people, right? And and, uh, my favorite, you know, way to kind of position this or the perspective I look at it from is that the reason why these corporations are running to the government and asking for bailouts is because they know the government's the idiot in the room. The deals that they're getting from the government would never happen from private market investors or public market investors in the debt and equity markets. And so if you look at literally, look at the airline bailouts, for example, they got given billions of dollars and they only have to pay back 30% of it. 70% of it's a grant. Mm. What, what, which what which we're paying do? for, right? That's on the taxpayer back. What investor do you know who's just going to give somebody money and say, ah, I just feel bad for you. Just keep it, right? That just doesn't happen. And so, again, that's why they're running to the government is because the, they know the government's going to be the idiot in the room. And why is the government going to bail them out? It's all under this, you know, again, this sham of, oh, they're too big to fail. They're, they're, they're too important. Well, guess what? If the airlines go through bankruptcy, the airlines are not going to stop running. They're still going to keep running. 
They're actually going to transfer the assets from bad capital allocators to good capital allocators. And it's more likely we'll get better competition, better innovation, lower prices, more efficiency in the market. But what's now happening here is we're moving from a capitalistic society to a socialist society, and it's going to change the um, the, the risk factors and the um, kind of the incentive structure in our economy. And that's a really bad thing because now think about once we get out of this, all of a sudden, why should I save? I know the government's going to bail me out. I'm going to just literally leverage up and I'm going to go for broke. And if I get to that point, well, the government will bail me out in the next financial crisis and I'll be fine. And so what you actually are going to do is you're going to kind of open the governor on risk taking, uh, which sounds not that bad until you realize there's no correcting mechanism on the other side of this. So you're basically removing risk for these large corporations. And then out of the entire thing, the biggest sham of it all is this horrible governance at the corporate uh, level, right? Because what these boards are doing is they're tying a lot of the executive compensation to stock price, and they know that they can use debt-fueled uh, buybacks to drive that stock price up. Well, when you tie compensation to stock price and the compensation is in actual stock options or stock grants, what you're doing is you're incentivizing bad behavior like we've seen. And so I've got no problem with stock buybacks. Knock yourself out. So it's a tax efficient way to return value back to shareholders. You want to do dividends, knock yourself out. But if you do that stuff, then don't go crawling to the government and asking them to bail you out. Go back to the people that you gave the money to. Go back to the equity and debt holders and say, hey, we need to raise capital. And you're starting to see some companies start to do that, uh, but it's just not happening fast enough. And so you know, I kind of wrap all of this up on the economic side and say, look, we're paying for the sins that people committed over the last decade in this bull market. And the thing that I continue to just beat over and over and over again to people is there's two key points. I don't know a single person who has multiple income streams that spends less than they make that is struggling right now. And that's, that it doesn't, isn't very helpful now in the moment, right? But it's a lesson learned for a lot of people that a strong balance sheet matters. So if you have multiple streams of income and you spend less than you make, you're likely to be able to weather situations like this. And so right. that's a, a lesson learned that people should take for it. Well, we've this, always said that there's, you know, so many Americans are just one paycheck away from not being able to, to pay their rent. And it's a crazy way to, uh, to live. So when this all shakes out, you know, currencies are going to fail. Certainly the dollar as we know it is going to go away in some time in the reasonably near future. Is it going to be the, the Chinese digital one that becomes the world currency? Is it going to be Bitcoin? Is it going to be the Fed coin? What do you think? Yeah, so I actually think the exact opposite. I don't think the dollar is going anywhere. I think the dollar is going to continue to strengthen um, for a while. And what you'll see is you'll see a lot of um, kind of the ancillary currencies or, or the developing market currencies, they're all going to start to fail. So if you look at, you know, the Lebanese pound right now, it's getting absolutely hammered. Uh, it's down like 50%. And then it gets compounded. Not only is the currency falling, uh, but then on top of that, there's starting to be some food shortages. So you're getting um, the currency falling, which immediately means that prices rise for food, for example, then it gets exasperated by uh, it being a shortage of food. So food prices go even higher. On top of that, you then see capital controls where they're literally saying you can only withdraw so much money out of an ATM, uh, and they're continuing to uh, kind of minimize that number. Uh, and then you have to actually withdraw in the Lebanese pound, so you can't uh, withdraw in other currencies. Uh, and then on top of that, people are waking up. So they realize, they're sitting there and saying, wait a second, when I went to sleep last night and I woke up this morning, my net worth, the savings I have is now worth 10% less. You stole my wealth by devaluing this currency. So they get pissed off. And so you see them going into the street. They're literally going and they're attacking banks. They're protesting. They're even going after the central bank. And I think that that's kind of the canary in the coal mine of, I don't think that's going to happen everywhere. 
But what I do think is that we're going to see that happen more and more. And the reason we're going to see that happen more and more is because the dollar is going to continue to strengthen. These other currencies are going to get hammered uh, and people are going to realize I have to get out of my currency. I've got to get into dollars or they're going to look for something else um, that maybe is non-sovereign like a Bitcoin. And so I think those are going to be the two kind of winners coming out of this. How does the dollar strengthen when they just print loads of it? Like, it seems, it seems to me that, you know, and then this whole oil crisis where we had negative, you know, valuations of, of, of oil last week, how does the dollar get strong? Because I've heard other people say this, and I, I understand some of the theory, but I think a lot of people are going to hear this and go, wow, so they're going to throw $7 trillion printed out of thin air, and all of a sudden the dollars are going to get stronger? How does that happen? Because we've seen what's happened in, you know, the Zimbabwe $100 trillion bill. Like, well, how, does, how is that going to work? What's the economics behind that? Yeah, so there's two key components to this. So the first is uh, the reason why the dollar is strengthening and kind of in the short term is because we're in a deflationary environment, right? So dollars are very valuable. They're, they're scarce. People want them. So they sell all their other assets and they run for dollars. And that's kind of the liquidity crisis or liquidity trap that really we saw kind of towards the end of March and into the beginning of April. Um, and so when that dollar strengthens, obviously what they're going to then try to do is print a bunch of money to systematically weaken the dollar, right? And you want to um, kind of weaken that dollar to stabilize markets and then provide relief into those markets or asset prices. The problem is that this uh, deflationary environment is so deflationary, it's just going to eat up all that liquidity, right? And so they're, they would literally have to print probably 10 plus trillion dollars to really have an impact. I don't think they're going to jump right to that. We probably eventually get to that, um, but it's going to take some time. And so in that time, it takes to print that much money, you'll continue to see the dollar rise. The second contributing factor is it's all relative, right? So if you sit there and let's say I'm in the Australian dollar, for example, well, the Australian dollar actually went down 50% against the US dollar earlier this year. Now, what does that mean? That means that the US dollar is strengthening and my currency is getting weaker. So it's on a relative basis. And so when you look around the world, the US is printing, you know, call it two to $3 trillion so far, but Japan alone printed about a trillion dollars. They announced a trillion dollar monetary stimulus plan. And so the rest of the world is also printing a bunch of money as well. We're likely to print the most, but on a relative basis, everyone else is printing as well. So it's not having the full impact as if just the US was printing and nobody else was. And so what you start to get is, the developed countries will probably be okay for a while. The non-developed countries or the developing countries, they're the ones who are going to suffer. Their currencies will go. Uh, and those people basically are going to have faced with a decision. Do I go into a current you know, global superpower currency, whether it's the RMB, uh, the dollar, uh, or do I look for something like a Bitcoin that's non-sovereign and all I need is a internet connection in order to get access to it? And I think that's really where you're going to start to see a lot of adoption is in those other uh, countries and geographies uh, where the currencies are failing and people rush out. You know, Lebanon's, a, again, a great example. Bitcoin right now is trading at like a, a 100% premium, right, in Lebanon because it's so sought after uh, because their currency is failing. And so I think you'll see that in other countries over the next kind of 12 to 18 months as well. Well, how about for the Western world then? You know, the Bitcoin halving is coming up here in 11, 12 days. And it's, uh, we saw 9,400, I think. We're back down around 86. What impact do you think the halving is going to have in this current environment? Yeah. So, I mean, look, the halving by itself is just a supply and demand, you know, kind of exercise, right? Anytime that you take an asset and you cut a supply or have a supply shock uh, and demand stays the same or goes up, you should have a increase in in price, right? So that's kind of a a economics 101. Uh, You can literally go on YouTube and, and figure that one out. 
what I think is more interesting about the having though is the macro backdrop that it's occurring on. So last June, I started writing a bunch about um, this idea that uh, there were these economic uh, alarms going off. Right. And I basically said, look, I, I don't know where kind of the top of the market is, but you can just see these little things that are starting to show up uh, that is saying we're near the top. Uh, and I think it was in July, I actually wrote something where I said, you know, now feels like a good time to go to what I called a, a, a um, kind of a, a, a real risk uh, mitigated uh, portfolio, which was basically go 5% Bitcoin, 95% cash, right? And, and things like that. And so um, what we ended up seeing, uh, or what I was talking about then was we were going to get a uh, very large interest rate cut. I didn't think we'd get to zero, but, but I thought we'd go pretty low. Uh, and then we'd see um, money printing, right? Quantitative easing. And that's really the two central bank tools that they have. Uh, I didn't think we'd print this much this fast for sure. And so what did we get this year? Rates to zero and three you know, trillion dollars or so printed. Uh, and that's all going to happen simultaneous to the Bitcoin having. And so last summer, what I was essentially saying was the fact that those things are all going to happen around the same time. If you go back to 2008, 2009, when they cut interest rates and printed money, everyone ran for uh, inflation hedge assets. So they ran to gold, right? Gold had gone down in 2008, about 30% uh, over the summer of 08. It then went ahead and rallied almost 200%, ended uh, the 08, 09 crisis in 2011 at an all-time high. And so I think that's what's going to happen here, right? You're already seeing gold and Bitcoin, they're up right? And, and they're trading up and they continue to trend upwards. Uh, people get scared of inflation. They run for inflation hedge assets. The difference is that Bitcoin's literally having uh, the having occur uh, right now, which means that it would be the equivalent of 50% of gold miners shutting off production right when everyone wanted gold. Of course, that's going to drive price higher. And so in my opinion, this is just rocket fuel for Bitcoin. And I think we'll see a $100,000 price point by the end of uh, 2021. Yeah. Well, and we, and we were we were talking about that with Charlie Shrem, you know, and how much of that is Bitcoin value going to 100,000 versus the dollar, they're printing so much of it that, you know, the, the Bitcoin sort of keeping its keeping its sort of level where it is keeping its value, because we're going to start seeing more and more dollars in circulation, which means it's going to cost me more to go buy bread, it's going to cost me more to buy meat, they're shutting down meat plants, so meat's going to become scarce, it's like, maybe it's going to, it's going to be all time highs for commodities, right, and for things for us to buy things that we need to eat. And so, you know, I, I was going to ask you about that, about, you know, gold and Bitcoin. It seems to me that gold should be way, way higher than it is because they're printing all this money and they have all that paper gold and all that paper silver that's, that doesn't even exist. And it's just the, it's the manipulation of these markets has just been so profound to me. So maybe give us that. So you think, you know, Bitcoin could be 100,000 by the end of 2021. What do you think gold and silver could be? Yeah, so um, I, I'm a pretty big fan of uh, both Bitcoin and gold from a from a uh, kind of structural standpoint. I own no gold, um, only own Bitcoin. Uh, but on on the gold side, um, you know, it's a stable store of value for the most part. So when we saw the market drawdown uh, back in March, Bitcoin drew down fifty percent, gold drew down about twelve percent. Right, so it kind of did its job uh, relative to other assets. It drew down the least. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, that lack of volatility works against it on the upswing. Right. So with Bitcoin, when you go down 50 percent, that also means that when you go up, it goes up a lot. Right. And so with gold, it's going to go up. I think that it'll end up kind of two thousand to twenty five hundred dollars, somewhere in that range uh, over the next kind of call it I don't know, 18 to 24 months. Um, but but I just don't think that you're going to see kind of three to five X in, in the gold price. But it, do, uh, it doesn't seem to match like the amount of money that gets printed in circulation, like and then the amount of fake gold paper money that there is that it, it's never seen because if, if that was the case like gold would be ten twenty thousand dollars an ounce or something even higher yeah. than that 
what, what you got to remember is all of that liquidity is getting eat, eaten up by the deflationary environment. So they've literally printed, you know, two to $3 trillion. And, and look, I got the benefit of, you know, with the podcast and stuff, I get to talk to the, the smartest financial minds in the world. And, uh, and, and the one thing that they've really kind of changed my mind on over the last uh, six months or so is this idea that even if we print trillions of dollars, it's such a deflationary environment that the deflationary environment is going to eat up that liquidity. And also it's going to eat up the liquidity from around the world as well. So all that printing that Japan does in other countries, that's going to all flow to the U.S. because everyone wants dollars. And so what you end up getting is this strong dollar. Now, where I, I think that I've got a somewhat unique perspective, there's a couple other guys who, who, um, who, who I know who have a similar perspective, is that you can actually get a strong dollar and get a material increase in price in Bitcoin and in gold, right? Now, relative basis, Bitcoin will appreciate much more on a percentage basis than gold will, um, but you can still get kind of strong inflation hedge asset growth and also a strong dollar. Uh, and it's really just because of what's happening with all of the money printing elsewhere around the world flowing into the United States. Uh, but investors kind of psychologically, they actually fear the inflation, even though it doesn't naturally occur. They fear it, and therefore they run for those assets, right? And so go back to 0809. People ran to gold; it went to an all-time high. But we actually never got the high degree of inflation, right? We never saw that, even though at the time, you know, printing hundreds of billions of dollars was a big deal. You know, it, you just never saw it. And so I think similar things going to happen here, where people uh, almost like they they fear what's going to happen rather than actually see it happen, um, and that'll still drive asset prices up. But you'll still have a strong dollar as well, which is you know I don't think a lot of people were talking about that six months ago. I know I wasn't, um, and, and so kind of a, a, a something I've changed my mind on it in uh, recently. Well, you're allowed to do that. And we appreciate your analysis. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast, Off the Chain Podcast. You have another show too, right? Uh, yeah, well, we recently changed the name of the podcast uh, okay. from Off the Chain to uh, the Pomp Podcast. I started to bring on um, a lot more uh, non-crypto uh, folks. And, and the whole idea there is just if I can uh, solicit you know, more non-crypto folks. And while they're there, then ask them about Bitcoin and, and kind of get them interested. Uh, it helps kind of expand the uh, the market a little bit. And it also pulls in other types of listeners, right? So Why wouldn't you just call it the Pompcast? You, you and everyone, that, that's the million dollar question, man. I I, uh, I thought I about- I rebrand that. That's what it, I'm going to say. It, it, was on the, uh, it, it was on the list, but we uh, we ended up not doing it. And, uh, and I think I'll be answering that question for a long time. <laughs> man, we really appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for coming on. And, and we look forward to chatting with you more in the future, my man. Absolutely. All right, you guys have a great night. So there you go, the one and only Pomp. We appreciate him taking the time to join us for Virtual Blockchain Week and to speak with us about uh, his take on the state of the cryptos. Yeah, that was fun having a chance to sit down and chat with him. Really smart dude. He has grown himself quite an audience out there in the social medias. Indeed he has. And we told you guys that there's going to be some NFT talk. In fact, it's going to be pretty nifty because Mr. Travis Wright and I are going all in on NFTs. You know, we started following the space two years ago when CryptoKitties came out. And we've been and I probably lost a crypto kit, several <laughs> crypto kitties. My whole herd of crypto kitties is generation one lost. In the they're year. out there. It's a good thing that, you know, they don't need to be fed because True. they're just they're out there and they're alive, but they'll never come home. Bad crypto. Travis is lost forever. Bad crypto. Joel, like all these ones that we had created that were red and black and they were really cute and they got I lost them. Yeah. My, computer, my computer crashed right after I had set up my first MetaMask and I had never backed them up. So those were all gone. Mm. 
Apparently, you should have listened to the commencement address there. No keys, no crypto. Yeah, it was literally like a day. The next day, I think Crypto Kitties conspired to crash my computer. Damn you, kid. Well, since that time, you and I have really embraced the whole idea of NFTs. We've issued a number of them to you, our listeners, for listening to the show. And 12, in fact, there are 12 NFTs out there. That you is that right? Had. Maybe 13, actually 13. 13, because the very first one was a beta test. So oh, that's right. Potential NFTs out there that folks could have. Well, we are totally and completely convinced that NFTs are going to be one of the pathways to mass adoption. And what we saw happen with the Garbage Pail Kids tops launch on the Wax blockchain has just totally secured you know, any doubts that we had. We no longer have those doubts. In fact, Mr. Travis Wright is a full-time Garbage Pail Kids trader now. Yeah. Oh, well, I had one of these mega packs, sold a mega pack that cost $25. Yeah, sold it for four hundred and twenty-five dollars. <laughs> like, just it's just insane. Like, that's just a ridiculous re- seventeen to one return. Yeah. Like, I, I'm really sad that I didn't liquidate more Bitcoin and buy like a thousand packs or something because pff, the return on investment is ridiculous. Well, the price is going up even more as we speak on these uh, cards. It's pretty phenomenal. It is a phenomenon, right? Uh, and it's one that a lot of the crypto world hasn't even paid attention to. But I'm telling you, we are telling you that there was a seismic shift that took place in the blockchain world because of this little product launch with these funny, you know, stinky little garbage pail kids on them. And we are so impressed with what we saw, the vision that we now can see for the future of NFTs. Travis, we've talked about covering NFTs, but we've actually gone beyond covering because we have put them out there. We pioneered proof of listening and it's time to take it to the next level. My goodness. Since we've been recording this particular podcast, uh, on on the GPK market, Garbage Pail Kids, GPK market, GPK dot market, I've sold one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different cards for over two thousand wax just while we were re- while we were recording this show here right here. So that and, and wax five bucks is worth about three point two cents. So yeah, sixty five dollars in cards right there. But it's gang, it's so much more than garbage pail kids, right? This is just a use case that is going to open the door to so much more. And that rhymes. Open the door for so much more. So what are we going to do about it, Travis? I don't know. What are we going to do about it? Well, actually, what we're going to do about it, folks, is, you know, we don't want to just bore everyone about NFTs on this podcast and just drill and drill and drill because we think that this is going to be one of the, it seems to me like, Whenever the ICO phase was taken off in 2017, the NFT space is about to take off here in 2020 mm-hmm. in, in a really big way because a lot of brands, a lot of really interesting properties can be utilizing these NFTs and create digital assets basically from their existing assets. And so we're going to talk about it more. There's there's some different resources out there that we're compiling and uh, going to have some great conversations. Probably we'll do maybe one podcast a week or one podcast every two weeks, just depending on the news and what's going on. But it's it a different, a, a different podcast, a different podcast. It okay. won't be, it won't be as long as these podcasts will probably be 10, 15, 20 minute podcast, but NFTs are sometimes called nifties. 
like it's a nifty n-i-f-t-y so we're gonna create the nifty show the nifty show nfts don't you know yes yeah, so we're in the process of setting up the website and uh we'll be recording something coming up soon lee probably in the next week or so we'll drop the first episode would be my guess Yep, and we'll let you guys know here when that is live. You're going to want to go and subscribe. We're still doing the EOS Voice News at eosvoice.news when there is news to share. We record an episode. I think that uh, the Nifty Show will probably be more frequent because there's ongoing news in the NFT space. We've discovered um, some great resources out there. I think there's a lot to talk about. And so uh, we'll keep you guys posted on that. It's going to be huge and nifty and and maybe fancy well and and the thing about it is is we're gonna let you guys know when they're coming up so it's gonna be one of those shows where it gives you up to date to let you know what's gonna happen next what is on the way that way you can be aware of this because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that are about to drop like we didn't know the very first day that these garbage pail kids were dropping and by the time we found out about it the 30 packs were already sold out and in, in a total of 28 hours, all of them were sold out. When we found out about them, there was only about 3,000 packs left. And then we were looking at it over the course of that hour, and then all the rest of them sold out that hour. I think somebody must have went in and bought a couple thousand dollars worth of those packs all at once, and they were gone. Yeah, this is a really, really unique thing that's happened. And we are just seeing the beginning of what true collectibles are going to be. Um, and we're not going to like show our full hand here because we're actually working an idea on an idea of our own that, uh, we can't really announce yet because we haven't nailed down the details, but you're definitely going to want to be tuned to what's happening in the, um, NFT and digital collectible world. I can tell you now the website, basic website should be up soon. You'll be able to go to nifty dot show or the nifty show.com they should both take you to the same place and um watch this space because it's coming gang it's gonna be nifty it is and it's gonna be fun it's gonna be spiffy it's gonna be fancy which fancy it's gonna be all those things it's gonna be like an atom bomb nice yeah in your brain so you're gonna want to tune into that and and as always you know we're gonna keep doing bad crypto at least two to three episodes a week of bad crypto, depending on what's going on. We may end up turning it down to two bad cryptos. I mean, who knows what's going on, but we're going to keep doing the show because we love doing the show, but we like to explore all areas within crypto because it's not just the FinTech finance side of things that are exciting. There's, I mean, we think these digital collectible things, this this is a multi-billion dollar business on its own and uh, it's just getting going. So this is the very beginning stages of that. So you're going to want to keep an eye on that. I mean, we were talking about the scarcity and the rarity of some of these cards. In some cases, only like 20 of them at all. I think actually the first show, we're probably just going to do a deep dive on this particular launch. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think we'll have guests on it necessarily, although we are trying to get somebody from Tops um, to uh, to come and talk to us. But I think just digging into the data that we've seen on this is fascinating in and of itself. So stay tuned for that, gang. We appreciate you being out there in the Republic of Bad Cryptopia since you have now received your virtual diploma. For the class of 2020, go crack some champagne, find a restaurant that is open in your area, properly socially distance yourself. Just don't forget to take off your mask to actually eat because that's going to be really difficult. 
And if you have these masks, don't wear them every day. Wash them. Because if you're wearing them and breathing and they're getting hot and gross, then you actually create a germ creator. And Mr. Travis Wright is an infectious disease expert. So actually, my sister is. So <laughs> right. That's good. Yes. Uh, that's a, you know, I figure if you can't be, you know, may as well have a sister who is. And if you can't be an athlete, be an athletic supporter. That's true. Stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.